James, and I'm just going to warn you, as I did last week, uh, last week James just used the kid gloves. We're at the beginning. Um, but there are some things that James is going to say uh, that, um, how would I say it? Sometimes I describe it uh, as, sometimes we need a brother or sister to put their arm around us and say, uh, you can do it, keep going. But then sometimes we need the old ball coach to come along and say, if you don't get moving, like number 12's coming, right? And uh, so James kind of does that sometimes. He's some of both. But I'm just going to warn you, before we're done today, he's going to be the old ball coach. So go ahead and prepare your heart for that and just know I didn't say it. <laughs> All right, here we go. So when I was in eighth grade, my family moved and I started at a new school. And uh, I'm, I was kind of by this time, like I was a veteran. I had been to new schools before. So uh, I played sports all growing up and I just knew, okay, I'm going to find the basketball players. Those will be my people. Basketball season is coming up. So lunchtime on the first day, I headed to the gym. There's people playing pickup basketball and I'm kind of standing there assessing the situation. And the kid next to me, he turns to me and says, I can't wait to dunk in a game this year. <laughs> kind of a weird conversation starter. Uh, but you know, he was reasonably tall and pretty athletic looking. And I was like, okay, well, it's unusual for an eighth grader, but it's not unheard of. So maybe, maybe he will. And in the course of time, we got to know each other uh, a little bit, and uh, we had some classes together. We played on the basketball team together for two seasons. Uh, we became friends, so we started. To, we hung out on weekends and summertime, and we played basketball together every day at lunchtime at school. And uh, we played in the driveway. We played over the summer with some friends. And in the couple of years that we were together on the basketball team, going to the same school. We must have had a couple hundred conversations about him dunking a basketball. Mostly he was talking, I was listening. Uh, a lot of those conversations were him making excuses for why he's not gonna do it right now. But hundreds of conversations about him dunking a basketball. But you know, in those couple of years, one thing that I didn't see a single time, I never laid eyes on it, him dunking a basketball. It just never happened. And eventually I was like, okay, show me. You gotta show me if you want me to believe you. And the obvious reality was he couldn't dunk basketball. Uh, I don't know if that ever did happen for him. Uh, he was just always out there someday. But here's the thing. If I say I can dunk a basketball, but I can't actually dunk a basketball, what does that make me? That makes me a hypocrite, makes me dishonest, something along those lines, right? Uh, if I really, really passionately, confidently believe that I can dunk a basketball, but I can't dunk a basketball, that makes me self-deceived, right? Both of those are bad things. You don't want to be either of those things. You don't want to be a hypocrite. You don't want to be self-deceived. At some point, our, what we think and what we say and what we believe, it has to line up with what we do, right? And we, we get on board with that. Uh, political campaign season just ended and a whole bunch of politicians made all kinds of promises about what they were going to do. And I would say our confidence level about them actually doing it is pretty low these days, right? Okay, none of us wants to be in that boat. At some point, well, our words and our beliefs, they have to line up with our actions. Rick Warren said it this way as it pertains to the Christian life. I only believe the parts of the Bible that I do. I only believe it if I do it. If I don't do it, then I may not actually believe it, okay? Now that statement, that really is the theme of the book of James. 
the correspondence between believing and doing, faith and action. That's, that's James' big idea. Okay, so I, I, can th I think we can all agree, we really want there to be congruence between what we believe and what we do. Nobody likes hypocrisy, and James is gonna caution us in a bunch of different ways against that. So today what I wanna do is I wanna just consider a few verses that I would normally kind of blow by. Right? We're, we're going through the book of James, but we're not gonna stop and assess every single sentence in the whole book. When we went through this book about eight years ago, we actually did go really quickly through this. It was like an aside, made mention of it, and then just moved on because what comes after this part is really famous, but what comes after this part we're gonna to get to next week. There's a really important issue it's more important now than it was eight years ago. It's more prevalent in our world today. Uh, it has infected some of the most unlikely people. It has endangered all forms of relationship, work relationships, families, communities, even our nation. What is the issue? Anger. I'll just go out on a limb right now, and I will just admit, I am more hostile now than I was five years ago. Okay, and I think if you own a television or a smartphone, you probably are too. That's the reality for me. In the modern age, people are just, people are so much more hostile about things. I was on a flight from LA the other day. Flew from LA to San Jose and I had a layover there. Change planes. We're getting ready to leave San Jose, California to come back to Spokane. And you know, it's, it's one thing if things go wrong on the way to your destination, but it's so much worse when you're on your way home, right? Because you just, you just want to get home. So I'm in the airport, we're getting ready to board the plane, and the lady comes on the thing, and she says, hey, we need to take off in the next 10 minutes, or the pilot is going to go over his allotted hours for the day, and we won't go take off. So we're just all, we're like just ramming down the, the jetway. People are like diving into seats. It was crazy. And uh, so we're hustling, and we actually got the door closed and got away from the gate in 10 minutes. But as we're trekking down toward the runway, we're taxiing out there, the plane stops. And I look out the window and all the planes stop. Okay, and it's because there was a dignitary who shall remain nameless because this is going on the internet and I'm mad at you. Uh, they were flying in the area and the airspace was totally shut down. And guess what happened? Our pilot went over his allotted minutes for the day. So we had to turn our plane around and go back to the, to the gate and wait for a new pilot. And you know those people you see on the news hanging out at the airport doing nothing? I was one of those people. So the pilot comes on to break the news. Okay, we gotta go back, here's the thing, this is what happened, blah, blah, blah. And the very last thing he says is, please be nice to the crew. Do you think he would have said that five years ago? Would he have had to say, please be nice to the crew? No, he knew what's coming. Travelers are angry. People are angry about all kinds of stuff. So he was trying to get out in front of that. People are just mad. People are mad because other people are mad. People are mad because those people aren't mad enough. They're not mad about the same stuff. And I just gotta to admit to you that it has infected me too. I just, I just wanna go right out and say that. So today I'm just gonna play my nope card on the anger, and I hope you'll do too. Just say, nope, I'm gonna to turn to the scripture, I'm gonna to listen to what James has to say. So here we go. I'm gonna give you the good news first. Tell if I'm gonna warm you up a little bit, okay? James chapter one, verse 17, this is what it says. James reminds us of who God is and what he's up to. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, 
who does not change like shifting shadows. Okay, so easy question for you. We'll prime the pump. What kind of gifts is God planning on giving you? Good ones. Perfect ones. God is planning on giving you good gifts. And this is why when something good happens, people will say something that sounds really trite, really cliche, like praise the Lord or thank God. Yes, they are cliche, but cliches don't create themselves. It's, it's a true thing. It sounds cliche, but for us who are Christians, it's a real thing. Every good and perfect gift, it is a gift from God. And one of the very best things that God gives us is his consistency. He said this 2,000 years ago to James and through other biblical authors, and it's still true. He still plans on giving you good gifts. And so what I want to say is grab a hold of that. Embrace that. It's a, it's a truth that has been written down for you. God included it so that you could grab it. Next verse. It says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That's kind of lofty language. That's like a, that's a Bible study in itself to try and get your head around it. But I'll just make one point. God chose you. He chose you. Uh, that's a pretty cool thing, right? You remember being lined up on the fence in elementary school for like, you know, divvying out the kickball team? God said, Norm, I want you. That's pretty awesome stuff. God chose you. Okay, now, people will argue sometimes. Toph might just say, no, did God choose or did I choose? Like, is it predestination? Is it free will? Um, the answer is yes. And I know brilliant people have argued both sides of this, so I, I guess I won't say I have the definitive answer. But I'll just make a simple illustration, okay? I chose Brandy. I talked to her dad, who happens to be sitting right here. Glad to have my in-laws in church. Uh, I bought a ring. I got down on a knee. I did the whole thing, and I said, I choose you. But one more thing had to happen in order for this system to work. She had to choose me back. If that, part, if that piece of the puzzle is missing, none of it comes together. So did God choose you? Yes. Do you choose to follow him? Yes. You make all kinds of choices, like the choice to come and be here today. So when James says, control your anger, which is where we're going next, by the way, when I'm done warming you up. When James says, control your anger, and then you go out today and lose control of your anger, a couple of things are going to happen. One is, you might feel really guilty about that. That's definitely a possibility. I mean, how many times in your life have you done something that you knew you should have done? You, you knew that's outside of what God has designed for me. I mean, all of us have done that countless times. We can never count the number of times. And it might remind you of your guilt. When James says, control your anger, and then you don't control your anger. But you know what else it should remind you of? That God chose you. God chose you. He, he knows the real you. It can remind you, your failure can remind you how good and gracious God is that he gave you this good gift of his son so that it would bridge the gap between you and him when you fail. Remember a couple weeks ago, Ephesians 2.10, I read my favorite verse. It says that God has given you a new life in Christ so that you can participate in the good things he has for you. That's still true. God does not change like shifting shadows. God shows you, and he still has good things for you. So do this for me. Before we get to the hard part, turn to your neighbor and say, God chose you. Are they convinced? Did you say it like you mean it? God chose you, Matt. God chose you. 
and he has good things for you. God has good things in mind for you. Okay, so just know he's a loving father. Okay, here it comes. Enough with the pleasantries. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 19, James says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So let me ask you a question. Don't answer out loud. Just want to be clear about that. What are you mad about? I mean, I know there's, I know there's stuff that just grinds you, right? And you can thank me later for bringing it up. Uh, what, what are you mad about? Or who are you mad at? Like sometimes in your mind, who do you have imaginary arguments with? Like, if the opportunity presents itself, this is what I'd say. Um, if it's just me, we have huge problems right now, but I don't think it is just me. I think we all understand that, okay? We all, we all understand what it is to just feel that hostility. Now, here's the thing, okay? This is the point that I really want you to grab a hold of, is that God has plans to do good things in you, in your life. God has plans to do good things through you in other people's lives. He even has plans to do good things for you as a gift because he loves you. But uh, nursing unchecked anger is totally outside of those plans. You with me? Okay, he has, he has good plans for you, but hanging on to your anger is outside of those plans. Every good thing comes from God, but an angry heart is not one of those things. We get, we get on board with that, okay? Um, this, this is James. Just remember, don't be, you don't have to be mad at me for it. That's not to say that anger is a sin, though. Do you know there are over 200 verses in the Bible that talk about God's anger? Uh, that'll like put you back in your place a little bit, won't it? Here's the difference between God's anger and my anger, though. God's anger, God is angry about evil. He has righteous anger. Okay, someone driving too slow, that's not evil. Okay? My anger is, is not always uh, righteous, shall we say. Someone driving too slow is annoying, but it's not evil. God's not mad about that. Okay? God gets angry about unrepentant sin because it destroys people and it pulls people off of the path, off of the plan that he has for them. The airline losing my bag, that's not sin. That's not a reason for me to explode and think somehow that I'm, I'm righteous or justified. Somebody having something I don't have, that's not sin. I don't get to be mad about that. Someone questioning my choices or even my political views, that's not sin. That's not righteous anger when I get mad just because someone disagrees with me, even if they're totally wrong, which they usually are. That doesn't mean I'm justified to harbor anger or bitterness, okay? So there's such a thing as righteous anger, but most of the time, our anger is not righteous, uh, or at least mine is. Maybe yours is. But here's why you should desire to get that anger out of your heart, because anger gives rise to bitterness. It's been said that the only difference between the two is sunset. Okay, anger is just a sunset away from becoming bitterness. Anger unresolved becomes bitterness, and bitterness will poison your heart, and it will steal every good thing that God wants to do from you. You ever notice how all-consuming bitterness is? The more you're hostile about something, the more you think about it. Ecclesiastes 7.9, it says, 
Control your anger, control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Huh. You'll know, you'll know that anger is righteous if it motivates you to do things like love a vulnerable person or be generous to someone in need. But anger that makes you hostile, Solomon says this, not me. Solomon says, anger that makes you hostile just makes you foolish. That's not nice. I don't like that. That's not a label that I want to wear. So James is proposing an alternative. Okay? Now somebody is thinking to themselves, thankfully I have this one beat. I'm, I'm not angry. I never scream. I never blow up. I never throw things. Um, maybe fits of rage aren't your style. But I just say, don't do the thing where you're self-deceived into thinking that you're not angry or hostile. Because you don't have to throw things to be angry. I don't, I don't have to yell at the, uh, at the flight crew in order to be hostile, in order to have a, an ugly heart. Okay, so uh, this would be a little bit fun. Maybe you can identify yourself in this. Uh, I heard a pastor named Mike Bro talk about this verse, and he identified four anger types. Now, I'm just going to go out right now and say, I know that we have several uh, therapists. These are not clinical definitions. They're just fun. Okay? Uh, so, the first anger type, maybe you'll, you'll see yourself in here, is the trash compactor. Uh, so, Thursday is garbage day at our house. And this past August, uh, there was one Thursday where I opened the garage door and I saw everyone else's cans out and I remembered it was garbage day. Does that, anybody, that happen to any of you? And, uh, but I was in a hurry, so I went over, I opened the little garbage can. There's only one bag in there. We pay for the big can and almost never fill it up. It's really a great policy. Uh, so I was like, ah, it's fine. I'm not going to worry about it. I got in my car drove away. Right. It'll be fine. It'll be in there for a couple weeks, but no big deal. Well, then the next week, I just completely forgot. I just totally forgot, and it was full. I just forgot it was Thursday. I never took it out. So that first bag at this point has been in there for two weeks, right? Well, here's what happened, though. The next Monday, we went out of town on vacation. So an extra week goes by. So it's been in there three weeks. Now, I don't know about you, um, but we have, uh, we have, in our garage, our garage is insulated, which is a great deal because it has windows, and when the sun shine in, shines in, um, the insulation keeps the heat from getting out. So if it's 95 degrees outside, it's 195 degrees in our garage. So we go on vacation. We don't get back until the end, uh, you know, basically the fourth Thursday. So that original gar garbage bag's been in there for a month. And if death was a fragrance, that's what it smelled like in our garage, okay? Um, bad news. Here's the thing. When you stuff your anger, when you stuff your hostility, even little hostility, it starts to smell and it saturates the air around it. And like, like when you ask somebody what's wrong, they're not gonna blow up with you, on you, but if they're just like, nothing. It smells, right? It, it leaks out. You, you can stuff it and you might think, oh, I hold it in. I do a good job of not freaking out on people. That doesn't mean it doesn't leak. Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because once it rides overnight, anger is on the path to becoming bitterness. So if you're a trash compactor, trust me on this. It will poison your relationships and it will damage the people around you. It will leak. Okay, so if your spouse is a trash compactor, um, you should talk to them about it later, not right now. Okay, don't, don't, don't give them a look right now. Maybe on the way home from church. That's a great time to have arguments out here. All right, so maybe you're not a stuffer. Maybe you don't stuff it in. Uh, and of course, I mean, why would you? Because it's so much more fun to just let it out, isn't it? 
Okay, maybe, maybe you like to slam doors and kick things, yell at the cashier, drive aggressively. You might be number two, the volcano. You might be a volcano, okay? I was in an adult, um, sort of a peer-to-peer -peer leadership group at a college, this was a few years back, and one of the guys managed a pretty large plumbing company. He had, oh gosh, like 70 or 80 people on his staff, and uh, so we're talking, you know, we go around and tell our troubles, it's sort of it's like a recovery group of sorts for people that lead businesses and different organizations. And one of the things he said was, you know, sometimes my guys, he said, which, like, right off the bat, I don't know that people like to be called my guys. Um, so, so I kind of knew, knew where this was going. He was like, sometimes my guys just need me to, like, blow up and yell and throw things so they know that I mean business. And the sad thing about it was, I think he was the only person in the room who thought that was, like, a credible leadership style. Because um, the rest of us were just like, well, no wonder they're not doing what you would like for them to do. You're treating them with complete disrespect all the time. Proverbs 29.11 says, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. The volcano anger type is only really respected for one reason. People are afraid of you. People don't want you to explode. That's why that, if people are doing what the volcano wants them to do, it's because of fear. That's how I used to feel about my daughter from ages two to nine. Like, don't say the wrong thing because the whole family will get sucked into the drama. But thankfully, she matured. She grew out of it. And if you're a volcano, that's where you are. We also have the opportunity to mature, to grow out of that. Okay, I, I heard somebody say a phrase that went something like this one time. They said, if you never heal from what cut you, you'll bleed on the people who didn't. And that type of anger probably comes from somewhere. And I would just encourage you to be willing to deal with that and to work through that because you're gonna hurt the people around you. And I know, I can say with certainty, I know you don't wanna do that. Your anger's gonna get on other people. Okay, so you feeling good? This has been fun? Maybe we haven't got to your anger type yet, so you're probably the only one that is feeling good. Maybe you're not a stuffer. Maybe you're not an exploder. Maybe you just like to use a lot of words and just like to talk about it a lot. There's some of those people out there. We call them the prosecuting attorneys. Okay. Uh, you know, I feel like every office has got at least one prosecuting attorney. Um, this person is often motivated in sort of a righteous way. They're often motivated by the injustice of it all. Right? Something wasn't fair and they're mad about it. And, and that's sort of kind of cleverly guised as a, a good thing. They like to scroll through the files of their minds and dig up the evidence from past offenses and resurrect the cold cases that have long since been forgotten about, but now they're back on the docket because something I didn't like happened. Sometimes the prosecuting attorney will put a spouse or a child under the interrogation light and they're just gonna talk about it until they're satisfied that they've talked about it enough. Um, there's a time to let it go. I gotta be honest, so far, these first three, I think I've been guilty of all three of them. But the truth is, there is a time to let it go. And if there's a deep wound that has to be dealt with, there's a time to deal with the wound. Proverbs 20 verse three says, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. There's a time to decide that I don't need any more discussion. All the words have been said, Everything I'm saying right now is, these are things that I've, I've laid out before. There's a time to forgive and resolve to move on. 
It's the nature of forgiveness, actually. Forgiveness sets both parties free. And depending on what you're angry about, it may not be that simple. I know, I just made it simple. I said, yeah, just let it go, no big deal. It's not always that easy. I, I understand that. But maybe you need to take steps in that direction. Be a person who forgives. Number four is perhaps the worst of all. I am definitely a number four, the stealth bomber. The stealth bomber is an ugly thing, but it's cleverly disguised as something better. Uh, stealth bombers are aggressive in their anger, but we think we're clever because we do it in a passive way. You know anybody who's like that? There's a really, really great term for that, passive aggressive. Um, they just stay unresponsive, we stealth bombers, and uh, we stay under the radar, radar real, real quiet-like, until opportunity strikes. And then we swoop in and drop the sarcasm bomb, because we're smart like that. Okay, you're not trying to totally destroy the target as a stealth bomber, though. Uh, just wound them enough to see that you were right. That's, that's really the key. And then just like that, you're just out of the room again. Like everything was normal. Nothing, nothing happened. Proverbs 17, 14 says, Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. It's hard to close the floodgate once the water is rushing through. It's hard to turn that back the other direction. You crack open the floodgate with a sarcastic remark, and guess what? Eventually, the gate's gonna break wide open on you. This is how it happens. So don't be a stealth bomber, trust me. Other people don't find it as clever as we do. They don't get us, they're not quite on our level, but, but don't be a stealth bomber, okay? All right. Psychologists say that anger is a secondary emotion. You know, it, it arises from something else that we're experiencing, like, like maybe you said something that made me feel insecure, and because I'm insecure, now I'm angry. Right? It, it arises from other things. Anger, what it does is it shifts the focus away from that insecurity, and it gives me control back, because now I'm on the attack. Now I'm coming back at you. So James says, here's the remedy. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If we focus on listening, understanding, then we begin to understand the root of the anger, that primary emotion that caused the anger. But on the other hand, if we're too quick to respond, and then this, the offense, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you, if you respond too quickly, then the offense takes on a whole new life, because it started with you being offended, but now the other person's offended and you're completely at odds with each other. It's almost impossible, once the offense takes on that type of life, to close the floodgate. So, we're gonna practice. I'm gonna agitate you for just a moment as if I hadn't already. Uh, so this will be fun. Uh, this might stir up some negative emotions, I'm not gonna lie, but I'll go easy, okay? Just know I've already been irritated by this myself. Okay, so here we go. Uh, in recent years, I have learned a lot about anger. Uh, I've seen a lot of anger, I've felt a lot of anger. Um, I've discovered something new that really makes me angry and it causes me to think, I don't care what you say, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I, that hasn't really been part of my thought life up until, you know, you guys know the thing, right? Like the last couple of years. And uh, so I've always thought of myself as like, I'm a moderate rule follower. If a rule makes sense, I'll definitely do it. And even if it seems a little silly, I'll usually go along just to maintain order. Like, it has to be pretty offensive for me to just say, no, I'm not doing that, right? Um, so I've kind of always been a rule follower, but, but here's the thing. It turns out I really hate it when someone tells me what to do. 
especially if it's something that I, I don't trust their motive for telling me what to do. Okay, so I know you're like, it's all coming back right now. Thanks for bringing it up. I don't like to be told what to do. Uh, I definitely don't like it when it's, uh, I don't, I don't want to use the M word, so I'll say insisted upon. I definitely don't like that. It makes me angry. Uh, I think to myself things like, I'm not a child. You're not children. I'm a grown man. I can take responsibility for myself. I start to think things like that. And the truth is, my wife might say sometimes a child, but for the most part, I actually am a grown man. I can take responsibility for myself, okay? Anybody else discover any of that in their own lives, okay? Okay, one honest person raised their hand back there. So it's just you and me, Mike, okay. Okay, thank you, brother. Okay, so here's what David said, Psalm 119, verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That prayer allows God to point at the underlying condition. It says, yeah, okay, I'm mad, but God, test me and know me. Know what's actually going on in my anxious thoughts. God, examine me. And notice that David says, lead me. He actually gives up control. He's, he's ready to listen. He's ready to follow. God, lead me. David wants to follow God's lead more than he wants to justify himself. Um, most of the time, I want to follow God's lead more than I want to justify myself. Most of the time. Okay, so watch this, though, what James says. He says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. God has plans for you, and being wrapped up in anger is outside of those plans. And the truth is, it's not doing anything good for you anyway. I mean, whose life is better because they're angry? No one. No one. God's actually, as he always does, we feel like he's trying to take something away from us. But actually what he's trying to take away from us is something that's making our life worse. He's actually trying to lift the burden, like Jessica said when she was talking about fun. Okay, so there's times when anger is righteous and it's warranted. Jesus, you might remember, he trashed the temple like a rock star in a hotel room because of his righteous anger. They were using the place of worship as a place of profit. That's not, that's, that's righteous anger, but me being angry at being told what to do, that's just anger. It's not righteous anger. I know that might be a hard thing to swallow because you know what? You are a citizen, you do have rights. I'm not just talking about you know, that whole situation. I just mean in general in your life. I can't control what other people do, but I do have James' instruction. Now I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for what I'm gonna do with James' instruction. So here's what he says. Be quick to listen. There's no criteria given about whether the other person is right or not. He just says be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to become angry. And angry, an acronym that I learned from one of my leadership coaches was WAIT. Why am I talking? Maybe think about why am I talking first before we start talking. Just because I have a response doesn't mean I have to give that response. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce what God desires for you. What God does not desire for you is anger. Human anger is not part of God's plan for you. It leads you in the wrong direction. So last verse, here we go. James 1, 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. 
You know what? This is going to sound way too simple. Just get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Resolve to not harbor anger. It's not helping you. Instead, James says, receive God's word and trust him. That's his gift to you to replace that anger. Get back in line with the good things that God has for you. Anger has the capacity to destroy every good thing in your life, to make you bitter, to pull you away from God's plans. It's very powerful. And I would just say, don't give that power away. Don't, don't give it away to someone else. Okay, so Jesus came during a time when people were very angry. Okay, the, the Jewish people, they were, they were occupied by the Roman army. And they were looking for the person who was going to come and overthrow that oppression, uh, get rid of the Romans who were mistreating them. And so when Jesus gathered his disciples, they thought he would lead the rebellion. Remember when they came to arrest Jesus and Peter pulled out his sword, took the guy's ear off? Peter was ready to fight. That's what he was looking for. He was ready to stand up for himself. Okay, But Jesus says, that's not how we do it in my kingdom. That's not how it works. You may remember he said... All who draw the sword will die by the sword. It was actually a reference to the Old Testament law, which said that anyone who uh, took someone else's life should be put to death. Okay, uh, Exodus chapter 21, if you're wondering. Uh, but Jesus, when he talks about the law, it's funny because he always raises the stakes. It's not just keep the law. He actually goes all the way to the heart. He, he, for example, he connected murder with anger. Right? The act of murder is the outcropping of the heart. So perhaps his point, when he says all who draw the sword will die by the sword, is that it's not that everyone who pulls out a sword physically will die with it. We know that because lots of people pulled out a sword and didn't die with it. Perhaps his point is that if your, your heart is full of this type of anger, it will suck the life out of you. And I think probably a lot of us realize, yeah, kind of. I just have to tell you, okay, no, no matter how you show your frustration, no matter which of the four types you are, it will rob your joy. Anger will rob your peace. Harboring hostility is one of the fastest ways to suck the joy out of every good thing in life. I think we can find easy agreement on that. Harboring anger is one of the most effective ways to lose friends and damage the relationships with the people you love. So I think today would be a great time for us to recalibrate to, to take steps to let go of any offenses that we're holding on to. Jesus said, whoever hears my word and puts it into practice will have a solid foundation. How about today we take James' word and we just we recalibrate. We stand on his word. God, I'm going to be, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. What's God trying to give you when he says that? He's trying to give you peace. That's so why the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. So I'm going to invite Jess if she would come up. She's going to send us out in a moment. Uh, would you do this with me? Would you stand with me? Let's just take this quick moment as I pray. And let's just embrace the knowledge that God wants to give us peace. Lord, we come to you in humility. And I choose to let go of what's robbing my peace. More than I want to be right, I want to be in step with you and the good things that you have for each one of us. So Lord, here in this moment, we humble ourselves, whether we're right or wrong, doesn't matter. 
Lord, we just embrace the peace that you have promised to us. We embrace the Prince of Peace. Lord, help us this week to stand on the foundation of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.